everybody's in charge of somebody else. Nobody is in charge of himself. That's pretty profound, Mr. Uh, Mr. Norton. That is tremendously profound. My name is Aldo Martin, and this is the Reclamation Podcast. We, uh, we had the meeting, and I mentioned what I considered to be the number one problem with the Boston movement, autocratic authoritarian, autocratic authoritarian. I don't know that I called it a cult at that time, but I believe that's exactly what it was. And uh, I, I raised the question about their authoritarianism, their, their autocratic approach, because it had become ridiculous. It was becoming even more ridiculous. Uh, people, being, people being told how to run their lives. My cousin, Don Vinzant, who wrote two chapters in that book on the history of authoritarian movements and the influence of the Pentecostal authoritarians on the Boston movement, Don, the father of Gene Vinzant, in a conversation with me, said, this is a very strange movement. It's the only group of people I know of where everybody is in charge of somebody else and nobody is in charge of his own life. Everybody's in charge of somebody else. Nobody is in charge of himself. That's pretty profound, Mr. Uh, Mr. Norton. That is tremendously profound. Well, this kind of thing was showing up. And so I asked them uh, about at this dinner or, or lunch that we had in Mexico. Uh, I asked, I told them, I said, I think that this is, you know, a major problem, maybe the major problem with, with your movement. And uh, I said, you, you tell people the minutest things uh, that that uh, that they have to do in order to be in submission and uh i said uh, I, I just i don't understand that and one of them said well uh don't you or didn't you tell your children that they had to brush their teeth and I said, well, yes, I, I had to teach my children that. You know, they, they were my children. I was responsible for teaching them to take care of their bodies and their teeth and, and everything else. And they said, well, the elders are, are more important than parents. They have more authority than parents. This is Why something can't other. they tell the members what they need to do to get their lives straightened out. And this is something one of the members said to you? What's that? This is something one of the members said to you? Yes. Yes. In other words, well, certainly we have a right to tell, just as an example, one fellow who was living in a communal house in Sao Paulo was told which bedroom in the house he had to live in. This is so... So even before, right? And this is all before writing the book. 
if I remember correctly, it was, yes. Those are those are things that were coming to light. In the beginning, uh, we were very careful in the Christian Chronicle about criticizing. And we got we were criticized for not coming to this position quicker than we did. Which position the, is that? The dangers of the movement. We were much more tolerant than some of our brethren were. But I, I just had enough things happen to know that what was going on was not right. And and so one day, Flavel Yakely, Don Vincent, and I were meeting for coffee, I think, in the DFW airport. Where would that be? Dallas. Okay. The Dallas. Uh, Fort Worth. Dallas, uh-huh. Fort Worth. Dallas, Fort Worth airport. And we were, we were all three very, very concerned about the movement. And Flavel, maybe, I don't know, but he, was, he, uh, he and Don were brains. And uh, one of us said, you know what, we, boy, we, need, we need to write this up. And Flavel said, well, we need to, I think it was probably Flavel who said, we need to write a book. Is, now, is that because writing an article would not be sufficient? Yes, I would say so. I, I would say that he felt like it needed to be something substantial. And, uh, for example, you know, he reports on what he found with his psychological testing. And you don't do, you can't do that just in one article. And uh, Don Vincent was talking about the background of the movement. The people in the movement almost worshipped and idolized Tip McKean. And all of them were just amazed at his wisdom, if you want to call it wisdom. They just thought he was the smartest guy they knew. Well, Don researched the authoritarian movement and and saw the the similarities between the movement that had developed in the Pentecostal church and in other places and what was going on with Kip McKean. And he did not believe that Kip McKean was responsible for all of these methodological uh, ideas that he was given credit for. So that was a pretty powerful argument. So so Don wrote two chapters on that, if, if I recall. Mm-hmm. You're right. He did. Flavel uh, wrote two chapters, I believe, on the psychological aspects of it. I believe I wrote two. Uh, I believe I wrote two chapters. I might have just written one. But I think I think, I think I wrote two that had to do with practical uh, effect of this movement on the mission field and the dangers that it posed for the mission field. And then you talked to Gene about what Gene did. So, and I, I said, well, or Don did. Well, anyway, we all agreed there at the table that we would do those chapters if Flavel would edit it. And he said he would. So Flavel became the editor. We, we uh, joined in the writing of the chapters. 
So now, f- first of all, I love I love hearing this. This is I I, I really love hearing uh, historical accounts firsthand. And the book came into my possession in 2022, and it was edited in or published in 1988. But it was based off of work that you guys did in about 80, 1984, 1985. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that was striking to me, I mean, absolutely striking to me, was there was a part in the book in which Mr. Yakely said that the movement would fracture by the end of the century. And he wrote that in 1985. And then the church actually fell apart in the year 2003. And I thought, I've, I've, <laughs> I've never been much, I've never been one uh, for prophecy. <laughs> but, but if there was ever, if there was ever anything close to it, it would be that. And I just couldn't believe that I saw that. And then Mr. Yakely also said that. The young people that are in this movement, not all, but a lot, will eventually rebel, and there will be severe depression when they come to, a lot, for lack of a better term, come to their senses. I don't want to use that word. I want to use something else, but that's all I can think about. Mm-hmm. And he used the word severe depression, and this is in the 1980s, and Mr. Norton, perhaps you can uh, uh, confirm this with me or not. This this is around a time when mental health was not really discussed widely. Is that right? Well, it, it was discussed, but uh, I, I would say that it was discussed, but I would say that Flavel's approach, what happened, they invited Flavel to come to Boston. Who invited him? The, the Boston people. Got it. They invited him to come to Boston and administer this. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. And he 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 went, and then as he studied this thing, he realized that all the personalities, not all, of course, but I mean a, an overwhelming majority of the personalities were tending to come out like the personality qualities of Kip McKean and the leaders. In other words, people were giving up them. They were going against themselves. They were going against who they really were to be like the leaders, which makes all the sense in the world because that was the whole point. The leaders had all the authority. Uh, they, uh, the, the, the people going in just almost, almost worshipped them. And I don't mean that they worship them as if they were gods, but at the same time, I, it was almost idolatrous the way they felt about these people. Uh, they could they could do no evil. It, it it looked like so 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 Flavel, with his credentials, uh, goes in and uh, he uh, uses this test. And he can talk scientifically about it. It's not just, uh, I think, I felt, you know, I was giving anecdotal 
impressions when I talked about going to that meeting in Chicago. But here, Flavel has his some scientific evidence of what's happening to the people. And then, of course, as time goes by, uh, we we have we see the personal damage to individuals, uh, and uh, I still see it. I still see it when I go to Brazil, and I talk to some of the people who got caught up in that movement, not through, not through Kip, but through one of his disciples. And this is, this is a grown man with grown children. His wife, the mother of those children, and those people's lives are damaged by what they experienced in the movement. You, you mentioned it before. You, you mentioned it before, the term cult. But in the book, Mr. Yakely was very careful to not use the word cult. He didn't, I think he purposely, he said the word, but he was very purposeful and said in the book that he did not want to use that word to describe the group. Mr. Van Zant did towards the end of the book. What are your thoughts on using such a word with the ICOC? Like, do you think it's applicable? Do you think it's not applicable? Do you think there's somewhere in the middle? What are your thoughts on that? I'm not really in touch with that group right now. So I, I'll speak about the group back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back then. I don't think there is any doubt that it was a cult. I think it absolutely was a cult. And uh, I, here again, I don't want to call, I don't want to call some certain names. Uh, I feel like I can call the names of the, of the top leaders, but I don't want to call everybody who got caught in it. Uh, some of my very good friends got some of the finest people I know got caught up in that. Why? Because of church growth. They loved the Lord. They wanted the, they loved the church. They wanted the church to grow. And here was a place that was really teaching and baptizing people. Who can criticize that? I can't criticize that, except that it was autocratic and authoritarian. Quotas had to be met. There was a level of accountability that I think is was absolutely unbiblical. Uh, so yes, I believe without a doubt that the time period we're talking about, uh, that group was a cult. Here's my last two questions for you, Mr. Norton. Do you think that groups, now again, we're speaking in terms of back then, right? We're putting ourselves in this time capsule of the of the Boston movement uh, uh, mid eighties when, when this book was written, do you think that groups like the Boston movement will go away? And if not, how can people equip themselves to prevent from getting caught up in such groups? Well, one of my theories is that heresies never go away that uh, you, you can, you can push. It's like a, I have cancer, and uh, I have a cancer that, at the present time, by scientific methods, cannot be uh, cannot be cured. It can be kept at bay. 
it can be kept at bay. It can be pushed back, but not cured. To me, that's the way a heresy is. Uh, you can you can let the church of today know what is right and what is wrong, and you can push it back. But I think that there will always be people abuse God's plan. And, uh, you know, look at Jonestown. Look at Jonestown. Uh, here is a man who was responsible for 900 deaths in the name of Christ. Will anybody ever do that again? I imagine so. I imagine that's going on right now in some places. I don't know of any place where that's going on with Churches of Christ. I never knew about it uh, anywhere else but in Crossroads in Boston or one of their churches that they took over. But it, it appeals it appeals to people who think they have found a solution for reaching the world with the gospel. That if if we can just get I'll just say, if we can just get these thousand people in this church all on the same page, going in the same direction, taking their orders from the same leader, we can produce marvelous results. Well, they can produce results. They can produce a lot of people, you know, who, who I think find the Lord. I think they do find the Lord, and I think they obey the Lord, and God will be the their final judge, not me. But uh, at at the same time that they are doing this good, they're using methods that that are wrong. And I use I used to use this as an example. Let's suppose that I had the power through some plan. I had the I had the power to hypnotize an audience of 500 people and preach to them and tonight hypnotize them and 100 people respond for baptism. It looks good on paper, but if they're doing this outside their will, if it's not their will, if they are being manipulated, that's not right. Uh, Jesus wants us to be free. And when, you know, he told in Luke 14, he said, if you come to, unless you come to me and hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciples. But what does he follow that with? You know, count the costs of this thing. You're wanting to follow me, count the costs. And if you, if you, if you can't if you can't live with this, you're free to leave. Jesus did not force people to follow him. He did not force people to be his disciple. And there were there were times when he almost he almost invited people not to be his disciples. Uh, That's fair. That's fair, Mister Norton. So I don't think that this movement is gone, or I don't think this type of, I think this movement won't be bothering us anymore. Uh, but I do think that this methodology will surface again, it may be 20 years from now, 25 years from now, 
or someone will get hold of it and somebody will take power and uh, and that it'll go through these problems. You know, it will go through the problem again. Maybe not in churches of Christ, but in other religious groups, because I'm convinced, although, that many of these uh, so-called Bible churches, community churches, these gigantic churches that you read about in Australia and other places. Oh, what they call what they call mega churches now, right? Mega churches. I am convinced that there is a a cultic influence at work there. There is a control at the top that I don't believe ought to be there. I think that I've been a member of the Church of Christ now since I was 17 years old. And prior to that, I I attended there. But I can leave today if I want to. My children can leave today if they want to. And uh, so to answer your question, I think it could come back. I don't think it will come back, certainly uh, in your generation uh, or the generations immediately following me. How do you think? How do you think people can um, equip themselves from getting caught up in such a group, if that's possible? Well, I. It's tough to answer. No. It's a. It's. I. I. I think I can answer that. Uh, number one, I think you have to know the scriptures. I think you have to know the scriptures, and follow the scriptures. And I don't see Paul or Peter, or John, or Jesus going around demanding a uh, submission to his will or else. And in the Boston movement, they were demanding submission. They were in charge of your life. And and I think that, you know, I think it's like some things even right now, I just, I'm just not going to turn my whole life over to any man. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to stand before God someday and give an account for myself. But I, I'm not going to turn my life over to anybody. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. It does teach submission. Uh, the Bible says submit to one another. So there is an element of submission there in our lives. Uh, I worked on I worked on a I worked on a mission team where we had to submit to each other in order to do our work. But but I'm telling you, there are things that while I, I'm, I'm I'm retired right now, but there were things that a president might have asked me to do that had he asked me to do, I would not have done it. I would not have done it, even though maybe it cost me professionally and maybe it cost me financially. I wasn't going to let some man dictate to me what bedroom I've got to sleep in if I'm helping pay the rent. (laughs) I'm not going to let them tell me how to brush my teeth. 
that, does that make sense? Listen, Mr. Mr. Norton, you're saying it with such conviction in your eyes that I don't even want to tell you when this call is over because I don't want any problems with you. So, <laughs> so, so I, I get it, man. I, I under, I'm, I'm on the same page. Well, Mr. Norton, man, it was a, it was a great pleasure speaking with you. I, I think everything you said makes sense. I, I appreciate the perspective in which you're speaking these things. Uh, you said that you became a member when you were 17. That's 70 years. That's right. Uh huh. And. And you've you've lived quite the life are continuing to have quite the experience. So I appreciate I appreciate learning from you and I appreciate you um, um, giving our audience some of your experience as well, because I think that's necessary. And I think it's wonderful, man. And uh, Mr. Norton, thank you again for the time. Great. I appreciate it. No doubt, man. No doubt. Very well, good to meet you, Aldo. Good to meet you, too, man. I'm glad. My day has been better because I met Mr. Norton, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Next time on The Reclamation. As far as the hierarchical nature of the movement, I feel like that was never really a point of contention. In other words, they didn't deny it. They said, well, yes, it is. There is a discipler. There is the person being discipled, and that's the way it should be. 